This is Strange New Trek, a podcast about the life and times of Captain Christopher Pike. This episode of Strange New Trek is sponsored by The Time Warp in Ashland, Kentucky. And now your hosts. In the year 2005, Star Trek Enterprise was canceled, and for the first time in 18 years, there was no Star Trek on TV. A few years earlier, Star Trek The Next Generation had crashed and burned at the theater, so there was no Trek in the theaters either. It was a dark time for Trekkies, but there was a glimmer of hope on the horizon. And if I wasn't afraid of copyright law, I'd play a little piece of music from Star Trek 2009 right here. I'm your host, Captain Jeremy Vilmer, and joining us now... Oh, I don't even have a good intro for you this week. The brash and, and irresponsible Chris Noonan saying, everybody. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> I am irresponsible. My oldest child is 21 this year and my youngest is three. So totally irresponsible. You got it. Nail it. That may not be ir- irresponsible. <laughs> that You just might have a hobby that you really, really enjoy. <laughs> so, Chris, we are here this week to discuss... Another facet of the Captain Pike and Starfleet, but we're going to take a sidestep here into the 2009 Kelvinverse. Yeah. Yeah. So Christopher Pike shows up in the 2009 J.J. Abrams Star Trek film and again in the Into Darkness film, which was a sequel to that one. Yes. A little bit different, this character seemed to me, but let's kind of recap what we what we see here. We start off with a little incursion from backwards or forwards in time around the next generation era. A Romulan ship comes through, ends up back in the past, kills Captain Kirk's parents, basically, or whatever. And so now time has changed and everybody looks different. Oh, well, don't forget, like, as soon as um, Nero comes back in time, you got Mr. Thor over here and then um, Dr. Cameron from House as Mr. Kirk's parents. Oh, yeah. I, I couldn't remember who his mother was, but yeah, you're right. Thor was his father. and uh, <laughs> Jennifer Morrison, who played Dr. Cameron on House, <laughs> was his mom. And the captain of the Kelvin was, of course, the bad guy from Iron Man 1, the mid-level bad guy before we learned that it's uh, the dude. So what we have is for anybody, I guess it's been 13 years now, so it's a good chance nobody remembers this, but you get kind of a side story, a separate universe and a whole new opportunity to tell Star Trek original series stories. Yeah. And you know what? I put off seeing this movie for so long because I knew that it kind of screwed with canon a little bit. But when I finally did see it, I was just like, whoa, this is actually the way they did it was pretty brilliant. Because um, they kind of stuck with, um, well, they don't actually stick with a lot of canon, but as soon as Nero comes back in time, any canon that came after that was irrelevant. Yeah. They didn't ruin the original universe, which is important. It depends. If you put the animated series in canon, it does mess with that quite a bit. Well, just because those scenes are like ripped right out of, but kind of parallel to the animated episode where Spock was dead. Yeah, that's fair. I guess I'm mainly just talking about at some point in the animated series, you actually have Robert April. You remember from the Star Trek is document. 
being the like original original captain of the Enterprise, and Pike was his first mate. Right, except that the way they explain time travel in this movie, it was like dropping a pebble in a pond, and it reverberates in all directions. So while the points up to the point where the, what was the name of that ship? The narrow ship had some name I should remember off the top of my head, but I don't. But to the point where the Narada shows up, everything should have been the same, except that time reverberates in both directions. So there's going to be slight changes in both directions. Yeah, see, I I didn't notice that. And um, that seems weird that they would do it like that. Here's the thing you do. uh, I don't know how many people realize this. What JJ Abrams wanted was all Star Trek to be taken off TV, all the old toys to be taken out of the stores. And he was going to do his own version of Star Trek. Oh, nah, I'm good on that. You can't do that with an established universe that's been on for decades. So that's kind of what he was shooting for. I mean, I don't know how close we came to remember, like when they redid Starsky and Hutch as a comedy movie. I don't know how close we came to a Star Trek that was a comedy (laughs) movie, but I have a fear that was the direction it was headed. A comedy? Well, you know, yeah, like Starsky and Hutch and all those. Well, this film that we're talking about here was it felt more like a, a Star Wars movie, honestly. Oh, it felt like three Star Wars movies. Yeah, granted, J.J. Abrams would go on after this to do the, uh, what is it, uh, The Force Awakens or whatever it was, the first, um, I guess, the seventh Star Wars movie. He did the seventh and the ninth. The first one he didn't write, the ninth one he, or I'm sorry, the seventh one he didn't write, he just directed. The ninth he wrote with the guy who wrote Batman versus Superman and directed. Yes, and that fact uh, will haunt Star Wars fans forever. Well, plus the eighth movie was... You know what? At least he tried. At least he tried. At least he didn't just you know, give us warmed over, uh, emotional, sappy crap. At least he tried to do something. It sucked, but he tried. It only sucked because of who they got to do the eighth movie, who just totally took everything Abrams set up and knocked it down and forgot about a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And then Abrams comes back and does the same to him. Which kind of sucks, because that, that hurt the fans more than anybody else. Obviously, D- Disney didn't get hurt by that, but Star Wars fans did. Anyway, we are talking about Star Trek. Just to go back to what I was saying originally, like this movie, once I finally did sit down and watch it, I thought it was brilliantly done. It does feel more like a Star Wars movie than a Star Trek movie, mainly because it's more action-heavy than your normal Star Trek stuff, but I still enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, you know what? I actually saw it, and you you have to remember we had just come through a couple family tragedies on on my end. Um, we you know one of our children had passed away the year before, um, and it was the start of the uh, the recession had started the year before, so we were we were low. And to actually have some new Star Trek was really nice. It was it was you know even though it was different, it was still like you know seeing old friends again. So I enjoyed it quite a bit. What happens because of this is that Kirk is raised differently than he would have been. I guess his mother didn't pass away, but his father did. And he's raised by his mother and the one guy who still owns a 65 Corvette 300 years after they came out. <laughs> and has a Beastie Boys tape. <laughs> <laughs> a bit of a juvenile delinquent, you know. <laughs> Which is going to set us up for where Kirk and Pike kind of interact with each other here. So Kirk, instead of being the the whiz kid who joined Starfleet after growing up on a colony world, is now kind of a washout who decides to go try to get drunk and pick up chicks from the service in Iowa or Idaho, wherever it was. 
That seems right for Kirk. Yeah, <laughs> it does. This Kirk feels a little bit more like Han Solo, too. Yeah. So Kirk goes into a bar, tries to pick up on Uhura, who, who could blame him, and gets in a fight with a cupcake who kind of beats his ass, I guess, right? Yeah, he gets in he gets in a fight with like three people and uh yeah, they don't go easy on him, that's for sure. No, they do not. <laughs> but then this is where we first see Bruce Greenwood as Captain Christopher Pike, who comes in, kind of recaps Kirk's life, and then dares him to do something with it. Now, when Pike first walks in, did you have any general impressions? Yeah, I mean this guy had way less to go off of than you know, Anson Mountwood once he took the reins in Discovery. So the portrayal of Pike in this film, like I still kind of thought, well, I won't say that yet, but this scene right here was, was really cool because Pike at this point had wrote a paper on Kirk's dad who had um, like the, the captain, something happened to the captain and he had to take over command as the, the first officer and basically, Pike tells Kirk at this point, you know, your dad saved 400 people in the first 20 seconds of his captaincy. Do better. Yep. No, I, you know what? I actually, I really like that version. You know, your, your dad was a Starfleet captain for eight minutes. He saved 400 lives. I dare you to do better or, you know, challenge, challenge you to do better. That line was pretty good. I was real confused about all the timeline stuff going on. I just have to kept reminding myself, like, nothing's the same. This is different because Nero came back in time and changed everything. So I can't really go off what I already know about this. And, you know, once I got used to that, I kind of got into it. It did take a little getting used to just because... Especially for a guy like me, you know, I've seen every episode of Star Trek 18 bazillion times by then. <laughs> so remembering, oh, yeah, there would be no Gary Mitchell here and this, that and the other would be different. And there was no Talos four, you know, because I'm still trying to make it fit the Star Trek. I know. Yeah. And you just can't. You kind of have to basically view this as something new. So Kirk says no. Then he changes his mind and he decides to join Starfleet. He meets Bones. Does the Kobayashi Maru, Spock hates him. <laughs> There's an emergency. McCoy fakes something so he can get Kirk put on the Enterprise with him. Oh, and yeah. they all fly off <laughs> to Vulcan in what I think was one of the most shocking parts of this whole whole change of story. They destroy the planet Vulcan, Spock's family. It's It was a pretty severe difference. Yeah. The fact that Spock in this movie is allowed to show more of his human side was a cool thing to see. It's obviously a little bit, I won't even say it's it's super different from the normal Spock because, you know, Leonard Nimoy did his best to play as a straight Vulcan. But if you really watch the series, you see a lot of times where he's not necessarily relying on logic 100%. So it was just cool to see um, this Spock kind of lean into that more, I guess. Yeah. They do a weird thing in this movie that there were a lot of things they do that they really beat you over the head with. One was Kirk constantly hanging by his fingertips. <laughs> constantly hanging by his fingertips in this movie. But the other one was every time the captain left the bridge and it was something serious, and he would really impart to the first officer that you're the captain now. You know, you're captain. 
And I don't remember that ever really being a thing. I remember like Picard saying, hey, you know, you've got the chair. Keep it warm. I'll be right back. Number one, you have the con. Exactly. You know, Kirk would <laughs> pass it on to Scotty because, of course, every time the original Enterprise went anywhere, the three most experienced officers always left the ship. So they really make this big issue. Uh, they do it with George Kirk when he takes over command of the uh, the Kelvin. They do it when um, Pike leaves to go see Nero with Spock. But uh, there is a great little piece of uh, dialogue or exchange here where Pike speaks to Nero for the first time. And, you know, he's like, I'm Captain Christopher Pike. You know, who am I speaking to? And the guy just comes back and he says, hi, Chris, I'm Nero. And it's just, I love the just <laughs> casual, just like, hi there, you know, I'm going to address you in the most casual way I can. I remember that. Yeah. Super informal, basically kind of given the tone of the conversation that's about to happen. Like you are nobody important to me. <laughs> I don't really care what ship you're on or, or what rank you are. What's up, Chris? Yeah, that was, I mean, that's basically <laughs> how it came across. You know, one of the things also I had noticed about this point with the Enterprise was it was almost the size of a Galaxy-class ship. It was huge. Yeah, so even less likely there's 204 people on that thing. Yeah, way bigger <laughs> crew than uh, than our, our Pike had. We now get down. God, so much happens at this point. It's really such a hard movie to keep track of. Yeah, that that's the issue with um, all of these next three movies. They are all like that. Like, there's just a lot of stuff happening at once. Which, again, is way more like Star Wars and way less like Star Trek. Yeah, Star Trek always being a little more slower paced and thoughtful, even even in the action scenes, you know. Pike has to go see Nero. Spock decides to kick Kirk off the ship, where Kirk finds Scotty and the original Spock. Scotty makes starships obsolete. I mean, the whole thing just keeps going out of control here. When they show the OG Spock, Leonard Nimoy... I knew it was coming, like it wasn't a surprise, but when I saw him on screen, I had a real fanboy moment that, at that point. <laughs> it was awesome. It was really nice to have him in there, but yeah, there's just so much turmoil at this point. It's hard to keep track, and Nero basically incapacitates Pike and decides that he's going to attack Earth and get all his info from Pike and... All this crazy stuff starts going on, and right now is when Spock, uh, Zachary Quinto Spock decides that he's going to have a meltdown and excuse himself from uh, command. <laughs> but through some accident of history, Pike had made Kirk first officer before he left. You know, this whole rank thing was so hard to track, too, you know. Kirk ends up as captain of the Enterprise, fulfilling his quote-unquote destiny at this point. And then the whole movie just kind of turns into your general action-adventure flick. There's running around with pistols, or sliding off of uh, wet spaceships, there's re rescuing Pike. Hey, Sulu gets a sword, all that. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely lots of callbacks uh, in this movie, and I, I'm, I was there for every bit of it. Carl Urban was great as McCoy. Oh, yeah. They, all the actors they picked to play these guys were great, and it sucked that Chekhov, the real-life actor, died. Yeah, that was kind of terrible. I don't remember exactly when, but it was like maybe between the second and third movie, I think. No, it was after photography was done on the third, but before it was released. Yeah, I, I thought the casting was perfect. If you're going to recast the whole bridge crew, like they did a really, really good job with picking people. 
everybody is top notch and great as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd definitely give you that. Bruce Greenwood as Pike, I thought he was fine, but he was nothing special. No, and and again, like um, he did not have a lot to go on. He had Menagerie one and two in the cage, which is obviously baked in the Menagerie one and two. That's all he had to go on. So I feel like he had a little bit of freedom to do what he wanted. Well, I imagine, yeah, as an actor, I bet you he probably just said, well, you know what, there's not much there. I'm just going to play the character the way I'd play the character. Well, I did read some stuff about him that he did watch a lot of Jeffrey Hunter playing him. But he also, he, you know, on one hand, he realized, like, if I play this dude straight like Jeffrey Hunter, like, it's not going to come off. It's not going to come off as realistic because I'm not Jeffrey Hunter. That's not my thing. But if I stray too far away from Jeffrey Hunter, <laughs> the fans are going to crucify me over it, even though his role in Star Trek is, by this point, not that big. Yeah, totally limited. Yeah, so he basically like took some nods from Jeffrey Hunter, but at the end of the day, he had a lot of blanks to fill in himself. He kept some of the stuff. Like, um, I, I felt like he was very shouty. <laughs> he was a little shouty. He was a little yeah. shouty, yeah. He was definitely the opposite when it came to his idea of staying in Starfleet or not. Because, you know, if you remember from the cage, Pike at that time was beaten up, worn out, ready to call it a day, go back to Mojave, whatever he was going to do, be a traitor. Completely <laughs> you know, He was ready up. to give up. But um, this Pike bled Starfleet like he was all about it. Yeah. And there's a, there's a line when he's first talking to Kirk about... Yeah, I, I, they keep confusing the Federation and Starfleet too, but I don't think they do it here. But he says, you understand what Starfleet is, right? It's important. It's a humanitarian armada. And I'm just thinking that is some 1984 George Orwell speak kind of shit waiting to happen. <laughs> a humanitarian armada. You know, it's a giant, it's a giant gun that we use to enforce peace by enforcing our will on everybody. <laughs> and that's not what Starfleet was. Starfleet was an exploratory Navy. Yeah, he does say that in Into Darkness uh, when he's dressing down Spock and Kirk about interrupting the volcano and stuff. But I, I assume we'll get to that, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna elaborate on it here. <laughs> nope. And actually, we're not gonna hit like every every story point here. We're just trying to factor this into our kind of character and time review of of Pike era stuff here. And this movie definitely takes. It makes almost the entire first part of the Enterprise's career a Pike era. It, it changes the timeline when the ship launched. It had a different captain. It was a different year. It was a different ship. Basically, the good guys saved the day. Uh, they used some of Spock's exotic matter to kill Nero with a giant self-constructed black hole. And just for the sake of patting ourselves on the back, we put Pike back in a wheelchair. Because <laughs> yeah. that's how we recognize him. Yeah, I thought that was funny, too. I mean, that was another cool nod to his um, past. The other thing they did here was they actually made one of the motion picture, the Star Trek, the motion picture uniforms look cool. Because that's where they pulled that Admiral's uniform from. I mean, it was all, obviously, it wasn't like they didn't go get one from 1977, but the style <laughs> and the colors were, were from then, just updated. And it actually looked nice. And didn't look like naked people running around or weird pajamas with their schlongs visible. Was that the uniform with like the wide white stripe down the middle? Yes. Yeah, that uniform was sharp, man. Yeah, it looked really nice. It looked really nice. 
So that's how we end the, the movie is that Kirk has fulfilled his destiny. Pike is the father figure who now feels vindicated and pushing Kirk to join Starfleet. The aliens are dead because I guess they're kind of racist nowadays. But what were, <laughs> what were your general thoughts on uh, Star Trek 2009? Aside from the fact that it's straight away from like the principal storytelling of normal Trek, I thought it was a great movie because it set the franchise up at least in movie form to tell whatever story they wanted to go over. They wanted to. And then there was the announcement for the very next star Trek movie in the darkness, which just shattered my dreams for it. Hey guys, let's redo stuff that we've done before. I'm like, you set this whole franchise up to basically restart. And you want to revisit that story with a white guy as Khan. Come on. Yeah. You know, you know, I guess we can just kind of get right to it here. Um, Before we go on, Jeremy, the show actually has a sponsor. Yes, we do. It is the Time Warp in Ashland. With two locations there in Ashland, you can also find them on Facebook and buy their products through Macari. They cover everything from sci-fi to comics to pro wrestling to card games, vintage video games. Chris, if you got a nerdy itch, they can probably scratch it. <laughs> well, you know me. <laughs> you know me and my nerdy itches. <laughs> All right, well, let's get back to it. Pike is in this for a very much shorter period of time. Kirk and Spock do something beginning. Spock sells Kirk out. Kirk gets in trouble again because that's now the, the story structure of Star Trek is that Kirk does something stupid, gets thrown out or marooned on a planet or whatever, and then uh, takes over the ship and saves the day. That's, that's kind of our, our structure now. Well, if you remember, Spock didn't actually sell him out. If you remember from that dressing down scene, Spock basically says, I just assumed you would not lie in your log, so I gave an accurate report. Yeah. No, no it's, I mean, you know, that's fair. <laughs> Kirk definitely took it as Spock throwing him under the bus, but I don't think that's what's actually going on here. So in this, there is first a guy they're trying to convince us isn't Khan, and this is a... This is a thing that J.J. Abrams does in storytelling now. He basically just lies to the audience. But it was so dumb because, like, even before the movie came out, you knew who Benedict Cucumber Patch was playing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got to tell you, Chris, in my head canon, though, Cumberbuns was not Con. He was just one of the other dudes pretending to be Con because he was the one woken up. And he was just like, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm Con. That's, that's totally me. And that's why he has the Superman blood and other stuff that Khan didn't have. Had the Captain America serum up in him. <laughs> and that's the other thing that they take. So Khan in the original, him and his people weren't genetic experiments. They were bred. They were selective breeding through eugenics. They weren't like, you know, splicing monkey DNA to a turtle and, you know, stuff like that. They've changed that. So now in Star Trek Enterprise and End of Darkness and everything else, now apparently Khan is a genetic experiment. Also, instead of being much stronger than a human, but not superhumanly strong, he can now single kick 15 Klingons into oblivion. Yeah. I mean, again, he got Captain America serum instead of being, like you said, kind of bred to be what he was. Yeah. And then the other thing was, like, really the way they described Khan in Spaceed is that he was dangerous because he was more adventurous and more bold and more willing to go extra far to get what he wanted. 
No, to be fair, I don't think that Into Darkness got that wrong. No, but that was what made him really dangerous. It wasn't because he could military press a tank over his head. (laughs) And how does a guy from 1991 end up, like, they wake him up and like, hey, you should design our spaceships 300 years later for us. Yeah, there was a bunch of silliness going on in this movie, which is why I didn't, I mean, I guess, like, if you take away from the fact that Star Trek has an established canon, if you just take it on its own merits, it's not terrible. But when you take it into the context of the entire franchise, it just falls short. Like, I get J.J. was trying to do a little bit of fan service, but he had already set up the franchise to do a total reboot. And it just made me upset that they would revisit this famous storyline. Some would say, like, perfect when you count the TOS episode, uh, cons in, and then the movie. Basically, this perfect storyline that's a fan favorite and then just totally, I don't want to say botched it, but. No, because you know what? I think it was service. They gave it a shot. I mean, it's not like they just half-assed their way through it. They tried, you know, like the the idea that you blow up a Section 31 headquarters by blackmailing a guy whose daughter you saved just so you can get together all the top admirals from Starfleet just so you can blow them up. That's actually kind of a clever, like, two-step ploy. Yeah, for sure. And that that's the scene that Pike dies. I was surprised that they they killed off what I thought was a major character at that point, like, right then. I was like, oh. <laughs> no, it, it was, okay. and and in for Kirk, you know, it's the loss of a father figure because obviously he grew up with that Greg Grudenwald, the the guy that's friends with J.J. Abrams, who owns the Corvette apparently. But um, so it puts Kirk back in the spot. Like now he's losing the things he cares about. You know, like he didn't care about anything. Pike changed him. You know, Starfleet changed him, and now that's gone. So there were some things in here I really didn't care for, though. They did the Batman Gambit with Khan where he lets himself get arrested. (laughs) Right. Which was okay, but everybody was doing that over a five-year period. Now, every movie, the bad guy allowed himself to get caught so he could be in the room with the good guys. Loki did it. The guy in the James Bond movie did it. The Joker did it. I mean, it was was really played out at that point. Oh, that's fair, because I I actually didn't start watching any of the Marvel movies until just a couple years ago. So I, I didn't catch any of that when it first started coming out. <laughs> yeah. So, but it was it was a ploy they were using in movies really heavy at the time. And then we have the the Carol Marcus reveal, which was fine. I mean, you know, but it's you know a little more fan servicey. But then the fact that her dad was an admiral and was keeping up with the tradition of Star Trek since the Next Generation, the admiral's always a bad guy. <laughs> They're a bad morale, so to speak. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> bad morale. I love it. So, you know, they do this thing and it just, it kind of does, does it again. The second half of the movie just goes out of control with the amount of stuff going on. You know, you have Scotty who quit you know, with, with what I loved was like one of the brilliant lines. He looks at Kirk and goes, do you remember when we used to be explorers? And I literally, I'm sitting in the movie theater. He says that. And I look at the screen and I go, no, and neither do you, man. <laughs> you guys have just been <laughs> shooting stuff the whole time you've been in Starfleet. Yeah, because you don't get the sense that there's a lot of time that has passed between the 2009 movie and Into Darkness. No, not at all. It almost seems like the following Tuesday in a way. <laughs> yeah, because Pike is still 
you know, he's not in a wheelchair anymore, but he's still walking on a cane. Mm-hmm. Convalescing still. They haven't even done their first five-year mission, and Pike never did a five-year mission, so the Enterprise's career is much shorter, and we can assume, you know, still very new. I just thought that was kind of funny, because, like, one of the complaints about Star Trek 2009 was that it wasn't, there was no space exploration. There was just, you know, go to the place, do the thing. I think what this movie suffered from was the fact that all the movies that spun out of Star Trek, they either had threads of storylines or direct storylines that came from episodes or at least like a an arc of some sort. So when you watch one of the Star Trek movies, like you already had a history with these characters and then they, they make the 2009 movie and you get the sense, which you'd be right, that as soon as Nero hits time, you know, goes back in time, everything has changed. Nothing is the same because it's not. Only the names are the same. So you can't build that same history with these characters, even though they're the same names we are used to. You don't get that same, like, I understand that when I watch Revenge of Khan, that there's a backstory to what's happening in that movie. Like, there has been a lot of time elapsed in between when you first see him in TOS and when you see him in the movie. So I think that's really what the newer Star Trek movies, um, they lack. Well, yeah, there's a lack of depth in history, that's for sure. Yeah, because you're right. Like, the um, time period in between the first movie and then In the Darkness, it may as well have been next Tuesday. You get no sense of time. And it's really weird because when Spock and Kirk are reporting to Pike to get yelled at about the volcano, Kirk is excited because he is getting a brand new version of the Enterprise and they are just going to start their five-year mission. Because on their way, literally on their way to get their chewing out, he's like, our five-year mission, Spock, come on, it's going to be great. Hey, what'd you put in your report, by the way? <laughs> Seems like that would have been a thing to ask uh, before they walked in. <laughs> yeah, that would have really been the way to go. So I was kind of mixed on this movie. While, while I liked the idea of kind of revisiting Khan, I would have preferred if this movie started and we just see the Enterprise pulling away from the planet where they deposited Khan and his people or something like that. Well, hint... We know that they're there. We know that it's out there, but we didn't have to do a con movie just yet, especially a ham-fisted one in ways. Yeah, it, it definitely would have made much more sense to do it like the third movie. If they were going to do it at all, I would have rather them not to do it just because, again, that's one of the more fan-favorite storylines. And sometimes you just don't mess with the old stuff, man. You know, and I think you could do it. There's a way to do it. I'm not going to say this was the right way that I'm going to bring up here. But if you had done something completely different, a Romulan ship shows up and it's captained by Khan. You know, the Romulans found him, freed him. He came out, him and his people, like, took over their ships. And now they're going on a, a revenge spree. Something like that. Something completely different than what we saw before. But. There was also like the scene when they, you know, we ask him who he is and my name is God. They should have been like, uh, okay, <laughs> cool. All right. Um, 
I don't know what that means, but all right. Okay, cool. Because they, you know, like the, the whole audience is supposed to react and nobody in that room would have given a shit. Yeah. Because again, though, with, with the original one, he makes an appearance in the, the series and then years later you get a movie continuing that storyline. So the, the old fans know what they're up against here. But also in the episode Space Seed, when he shows up, they all know who Khan Noonien Singh was. It would be like us finding Napoleon in a uh, cryogenic <laughs> freeze and him stepping out and, you know, and I'm Napoleon Bonaparte. And we'd all be like, oh, oh, ho, 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 ho. we should have left that freezer shut, man. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not like the guy got out and like just dropped a name that you could tell. No, because young Spock has to ask old Spock who Khan is. So we know they don't know who he is. Well, I think in the original series, they know who he is because of the ship name, and they do a little bit of research um, before they get up to it on the ship name and find out, like, what's what with it. At least that's what I remember. <laughs> one of them even says in the original series, though, I've always had a sneaky admiration for this one. Under him, there were no programs and no annihilations and no genocide and... And that's when Spock is sitting there looking at the three of them, like, are you guys out of your minds? <laughs> you know, it was really a great <laughs> scene. And then one more thing that bothered me. So they basically flipped the script at the end of this. And we're way away from Pike at this point. He's, he's dead. <laughs> he's dead. <laughs> yeah. But they flipped the script around instead of Spock dying and Kirk, you know, doing whatever it is he does. Kirk dies, and then Spock goes on another rage-filled uh, murder boner period. TM. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I thought was kind of off-putting to me in this, and it's such a small, silly, stupid little thing, right? When Spock screams Khan, and they're trying to redo the scene with Shatner screaming Khan, what everybody forgot is that William Shatner Kirk was pulling a Khan on Khan. He was trying to convince Khan that they were stuck on the planet and they were frustrated and had no way out. Kirk was acting when he did that. Spock was just whimpering when he did it. So it wasn't really, it wasn't really a parallel. Yeah. I mean, that was probably done on purpose though. Just like you said, flip the script a little bit and make it different enough. At least people who didn't know anything about Khan before this movie, like everything was explained, I guess. Okay. But, like, I don't know, man. The biggest issue I had with this movie, I didn't really care for the storyline to begin with. But, again, the fact that J.J. Abrams set up the whole franchise to basically restart and the very next movie is that I've always had an issue with that. You're just kidding. We're actually just going to go redo the stuff we already had. I mean, I guess that's fair because his Star Wars movie was basically A New Hope, pretty much scene for scene. <laughs> yeah, what J.J. Abrams is good at is emotion and action. He tries to wring as much emotion out of everything as he can. It's it's like them giving Chewie the medal in, in The Rise of Skywalker, when we all know that Chewie was actually awarded the medal by Carrie Fisher at the MTV Music Awards in the 90s. <laughs> Well, us real fans who have been there, we remember these things, JJ. We don't need you glad-handing us along. So, you know, we kind of get to the point where they capture Khan. They put him in the museum with the Ark where Indiana Jones was. They bring Kirk back to life with magic triple blood <laughs> or something. <laughs> I, I think it is that. 
I forgot all about that. That was so dumb. Yeah. McCoy is just like randomly shooting Khan's blood into stuff on the ship. And, you know, oh, hey, this triple <laughs> came back to life. Let's shoot it in our dead captain's body. Let's see what happens now. You obviously know they're doing a play on when Spock dies at the end of Wrath of Khan. And to me, I did not like the way that they went because it kind of cheapened the original death of Spock. And then like um, bringing Kirk back in the same movie where it took a whole nother movie to bring Spock back. And the basic premise of the movie was that. So to me, the, the way they did that, it just, I felt like it cheapened Spock's death in the Wrath of Khan originally. Because it was just kind of a, a carbon copy of it and it didn't have any of the weight. Because when they ended the Wrath of Khan, Spock was supposed to be dead. There wasn't going to be a coming back. That was all worked out like a year later. Matter of fact, the only reason uh, Leonard Nimoy did the Wrath of Khan was so they could kill Spock. So what was your impression of Into Darkness? I mean, you said you didn't like it, but you know, overall, what, what would you come away with? Like, again, if I'm just looking at this in isolation, it's not a bad movie, given what the 2009 one was. But when I look at it in the context of the rest of the franchise, I didn't care for it. J.J. opened up the franchise, and I, I will say this till the day I die. <laughs> he opened up the franchise to go anywhere and do anything, and he decided to revisit an old storyline. And then again, like the main thing that really made me mad about that movie was the end. Because like I said, it, it kind of cheapened Spock's death in the original. Yeah, I can totally see that as a thing there. I still quote that line, man. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. The needs of the few outweigh the needs of the one. That's a thing. <laughs> and I remember there was, there was a not as eloquently worded version of that in the Star Trek Is document. They were talking about, you know, they were talking about Robert April, but they applied it to Captain Pike. That to him, you know, taking care of the one was just as important as taking care of like a ship full of people. Yeah. Um, as far as Pike goes, I think we probably need to sum him up here since this is a show about Captain Pike. <laughs> yeah, I was really I like all day today and I, I messaged you earlier. I was like, man, I don't I don't know what we have to say about this. There's not much to do a comparison on. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Nope, I got you. But then here we are, however many minutes later, and we've talked about Pike quite a bit, but I feel like Greenwood did a good job of kind of straddling what we've seen in Jeffrey Hunter and then kind of putting his own spin on it. And again, if you look at Discovery, I feel like, especially after revisiting these movies, the new Pike is um, kind of does a similar thing where like his, his mannerisms are more Kirk. But his attitude is more Pike in these movies rather than the Pike of the original series. Sure. And you know what? I can, I can kind of see that, too. He carries himself in that William Shatner, Captain Kirk way. But you can see that, that he's kind of, I mean, he does, he does feel like he's kind of going for the Bruce Greenwood character a little bit, too. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely what I got from it. As far as what Greenwood had to work with in, in these movies, it's hard, to, it's hard to give him props for staying to the original because he really didn't. But um, as far as um, the type of captain slash admiral that he's supposed to be in these movies, I really enjoyed his character for sure. Yeah. No, I thought it was an interesting way to 
you know, especially in the the 09 version, you know, just Star Trek, I thought it was an interesting way to use a character that was established in a role he was established in, but do something completely different with him. Instead of seeing him as his is his you know hot headed captaining years, we see him as a father figure to you know the guy we know is supposed to be the captain of the ship, but we don't know how he's going to get there. Yeah, he still retains some of that shoutiness, and I appreciated that about him. <laughs> he is awfully shouty. Yeah, you know, Chris, I think I'm going to worry the week we're getting ready to do a show, and I don't see a text that says like, "Hey, man, I don't know what we're going to talk about." There's not a lot here. <laughs> I think when I don't get that text, that's when I'm going to be like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, when we, when we were starting to put together the episodes, this was one that I, I wanted to do. And, um, yeah, come day of earlier today, I was like, oh, man, I don't know. After I started re-watching some things and reading about some things, I was like, I don't, I don't really know how we're going to tackle this. Yeah, <laughs> may not be a lot of meat on this bone. Well, I think that's going to kind of wrap us up, uh, except I did put a note in when we were talking earlier that I wanted to talk about other parallel versions of, of Pike. And in the episode Mirror, Mirror, when Kirk has his record read, Kirk assassinated Pike and took over the Enterprise. Yeah, he's only mentioned in that. And then he does make an appearance in the animated series. What I thought was weird when I was looking into that is Robert April was voiced by Scotty. And then his wife was voiced by Uhura. If you go and you check a lot of the voices on the animated series, they were Scotty and Majel Barrett in the most cases. Other people also <laughs> voiced people, but um, in most cases, they were the ones. And, you know, Scotty is also the person that created the first sounds used for the Klingon language. Before they were codified into a language, but when they were just sounds, he was the one who did it. He was a World War II veteran, wasn't he? Yes. And it does sound like a lot of the Klingon language is based on, like, German. <laughs> They're Scottish. <laughs> <laughs> it just has a real Germanic sound to it. It does, yeah. I mean, especially before they really added, like, the samurai elements to it. But if you ever look at some of the old episodes, they, and they went out of their way to hide it, but Scotty's missing a finger on his left hand, I think, and it was blown off at Normandy. Yeah, that's a cool story we should talk about when... You know, maybe between seasons or something of the new show. <laughs> yeah. So let's see here. Where where are we headed next week? What do we got coming up? Well, I think we're going to jump into Discovery. And I it feels like we do have enough time to go through the whole season episode by episode. Yeah. We're going to start on season two of Discovery. Okay. So we got some homework <laughs> to do between now and then. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So, with all that being said, everybody, I want to thank uh, Earl over at the Time Warp in Ashland, Kentucky. They have two sites there in Ashland. You can find them on Facebook, and you can buy any of their goods on uh, Macari or through Facebook themselves. They do wrestling memorabilia, comic books, classic video games. If you can collect it, they've got it. I also want to thank Miguel Esparza for writing the theme song for Strange New Trek. And uh, I want to thank Chris over there for being our co-host. And we'll see you on the next Planet of the Week.
I just I get a sense that my dog was starting to freak out, and she had ate ate one of the shoestrings <laughs> off my shoe while I was ignoring her, and 